Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 200 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. A few people said to me, for the 200th podcast, are you going to do something special? And initially, I thought, well, no, because, you know, we already do something pretty special each week with the guests that feature on the show, but I just couldn't think of anything particularly special to do. But I thought outside of the box, and we are now doing something special here. I'm out in New Jersey, USA right now to do a podcast with a regular panelist, but this time we're, we're, we're not over the phone. This time we're physically together in a makeshift studio. I'm joined by the former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing, sir? I'm feeling pretty good, man. It's the first time we got a chance to do this in a makeshift studio together, so (laughs) I actually think this is going to be pretty interesting this time. Should be pretty interesting. Now, obviously, the the day itself, I mean, usually everything I say on here kind of sticks to boxing. I don't really get into what I do in my spare time, but it's been quite an eventful day, obviously, Eddie. You took me to Philadelphia. You took me to the the Rocky Steps. I ran up there. I think it took me... uh, well, about three minutes to get up them, <laughs> and uh, obviously the the picture by the Rocky statue. You showed me the ghetto, <laughs> and uh, the the coolest thing. Well, not the coolest thing, but one of the other eventful things. The uh, the IBF Super Featherweight World Champion Tevin Farmer called called my my cell phone up. I'm see, I'm already saying American things. My mobile phone up to uh, to to tell us where to get the best Philly cheesesteak. So uh, it's been it's been a cool day. It's been a cool day. Yeah, man, it's fun. You know, what I mean, I, you know, I like riding around to the things, you know, seeing places that I used to, you know, frequent being there a whole lot of time. You know, what I mean, one place that I did want to kind of, you know, get into maybe is to uh, go to Schuler's gym. You know, one of it was my home gym for a long period of time. Take a look at, you know, what's going on there. See how it looks, whether whether it's new things are new. Or, you know, guys I haven't seen in a long period of time. It would be good to do that, and I think we're going to do that one of these next two, uh, next couple of days. And at the same time, we're definitely going to look at those cheesesteaks. And namely, a place that was recommended was uh, Max's cheesesteaks. So we're going to take a we're going to take a run up there and see what it, see what it tastes like. Oh, I mean, well, you're going to see what it tastes like. I'm going to watch and uh, be supportive. <laughs> yeah, for those that may not know, Eddie's now vegan. Um, but yeah, shout out to Max's cheese. Well, maybe not shout them out. We've got to try them first, actually. So they, they may be terrible, but I think Tevin knows his stuff when it comes to cheesesteaks. But anyways, let's start with the review part of the show. We're going to start here at the Marina Frappa Resort in Croatia. Friend of the show, Mark Damori, obviously... Uh, it was his 41st fight, now 37-2 and two with two draws, obviously, the guy that uh, David Hay chose to fight in his comeback fight. He took on Laszlo Penzez, a guy with a record of 10-5. and five. Penzez was actually TKO'd in the very first round. Mark Damori, like I say, win number 37 for him. Moving out now, though, to the Estadio Antonio Marquez in San Juan de los Lagos in Jalisco, Mexico. You like that, Eddie? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> nice, nice. 
Uh, topping the bill over here, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., win number 51. Again, a very, a very quick one. A first-round knockout against Ever Bravo, a guy that's kind of fought a few fringe-level guys, but, you know, he loses every time, you know, he takes on a guy that we've heard of. So he's now 25-11 and 11 with one draw. So two two fights mentioned there on the review part of the show, both first-round knockouts. Uh, talking of another knockout, this one. Much closer, actually, to where we are today. We went past it, didn't we, today, Eddie? The Leacora Center, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Jason Sosa topped the bill. It was obviously supposed to be Carl Frampton until he picked up that freak injury in his hotel lobby. Um, yeah, Jason Sosa, his fight was elevated to the main event. He managed to get the TKO in round seven against Haskell Rhodes, now 27-4 and four with one draw. Uh, Rhodes was down twice in the fifth round and once in that seventh and final round. Jason Sosa guy who he's actually got a lot of ability really um you know he's up there with the top fighters really um at super featherweight in my opinion i mean he did lose to lomachenko pretty badly i think if i remember correctly i think they pulled him out late on in that fight but um he's got a lot of moves i know that you saw him a couple days before the fight eddie at an amateur show um but no good to see him back with a bang and it's good to see him in a main event fight because he's kind of had to tread water since losing to Lomachenko I think he had one fight against somebody it could have even been Yuri Yuri Gamboa if my memory yeah. serves me correctly and I think he was quite unlucky to not get the win I think I think Gamboa got the win on the night if if, if that is what happened it was quite controversial yeah you know it, it, it's no shame honestly in losing to uh, uh I want to say Gamboa but um Lomachenko you know he's a really really talented guy one of the top guys in the in boxing today probably one of one of the power pound pound for pound best if not the pound for pound best so you know it's uh it's a it's a really really tough situation when you're fighting him and it's tough to look good and especially when you're the guy normally that has all the moves and all of the good footwork and all of the nice you know combinations and things like that because then if you got to be second then it really 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 is tough to you know get a foothold in the fight so you got to almost change and you know completely switch gears and go into his chest and try to make him feel uncomfortable but we all know how hard that can be so you know, and then as far as with Gamboa, you know, like you say, it's controversial, controversy with it. It's a surprise to see, you know, from what I heard, he did really well. I actually seen parts of it. He did really well, like he won the fight, and then to get the controversial uh, uh, fight to go the other way, it's just unfortunate. But he's back now. You know, he had a good win, and he seems like a really good guy and, and you know, a good ambassador for the sport. So, you know, look out for him. Absolutely. And um, we should mention on the undercard, this was a real shock here. Um, I don't want to say the guy's name wrong, but I'd say that that is probably pronounced Robizi Ramirez. I'm just, I could be butchering it, but it is what it is. I should know how to pronounce his name. He was a, I believe he was a, uh, I think he was a double Olympic gold medalist. He took on Adan Gonzalez, who was only four and two with two draws going in. It ended up being a split decision after four rounds in favor of Gonzalez. He actually had Ramirez, the Olympic champion, down in the very first round, and it cost him. Just another lesson there. Uh, that really, the, you know, the transition from amateur to pro, it's, it's, it's not one that you can take for granted at, at all. That's 100% correct. You know, like, even I can attest, the one thing about me as a, as an amateur is that I fought more, more of a pro style. So turning pro for me really wasn't a big adjustment except for except for uh, realizing that you're not wearing headgear anymore and the gloves are smaller. So that's the only difference. But uh, as far as the style goes and the pace, it was, uh, it was pretty comfortable for me. But you look at guys who have been career amateurs and, and, and throw a lot of punches and fight in that amateur style. Sometimes it could be a tough transition. 
you know, other guys take the skill of it and turn it into a professional thing, which like guys like Lomachenko and, you know, you, even uh, 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 what's it, Shakur Stevenson, uh, who, who actually are able to, you know, thrive. And, and of course, there's loads of other guys, but, you know, those guys seem to thrive, you know, in, in, in the professional game as well as, as well as in the amateurs. So you just got to be able to switch gears a little bit and use what you've learned in the amateurs to help you in the pros. Yeah, and talking of actually Shakur Stevenson, that was a guy that Ramirez was able to beat in the amateurs along with uh, Andrew Selby, Michael Conlon, there was a few others as well. So just goes to show um, that transition, you know, you really cannot take it for granted, like I say. But um, yeah, that's it for that one. Moving out now to the Verizon. How do you say it? You s- Verizon? Verizon, right. That's <laughs> better. Because it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a phone network, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Verizon. <laughs> the Verizon Theater in, in, uh, in Texas, USA. Uh, let's start with the undercard. Firstly, friend of the show, Hector Tanahara, he remains undefeated, 18-0 and now, a complete shutout, um, 10 rounds to zero against Ezekiel Aviles, who's now 16-4 and with three draws, so like I say, a complete clean sweep there for Tanahara. Also on that bill, the trilogy, the final fight of the three, Joshua Franco, um, another, another draw with Oscar Negrete, obviously the first fight that they had, it was a draw. And then the second fight, I think it was a close decision to Franco. And now the first fight, another split draw. It was for the WBA International and the NABF bantamweight titles. Two belts on the line. And, um, I mean, I don't really think we should see a fourth because it seems like both guys, although they're still prospects, they're kind of spending a little bit too much time around each other. But, um, yeah, very, very close fights, all three of them. And credit to both guys, really, for, you know, for wanting to keep getting it on. But I think... I feel sorry, really, for Negrete. He perhaps deserved one or, well, at least one of them, I'd say. But, um, you know, it is what it is. It's, they were all very, very close. No no complaints, really, with that. But the main event, Virgil Ortiz Jr., I did say on last week's show, arguably one of the best prospects in world boxing. He went in with a 100% KO ratio, and he, he came out with that with that ratio intact. Now 14-0, 14 knockouts, a TKO in the sixth round against Antonio Orozco, a guy that had only had one loss, and it was, of course, to Jose Ramirez. Um, yeah, in, in that fight against Ramirez, Orozco lost on points. This time he actually got, like I say, TKO'd in the sixth round. He was down three times in that round. Uh, we saw a little clip of it, Eddie, obviously. Ortiz Jr., just... You know, he knows how to finish. And after he dropped him the first time, he just went hunting for him, really. And he, he was able to find him with some nice clean shots after that. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a big statement because he's done something there that a reigning undefeated world champion couldn't do. Right, right. I mean, you look at that. And immediately looking at the video, you just see the uh, ferocity when it comes to finishing. And that's important. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, for a prospect like him that hasn't been in the game very long, you have to immediately immediately make your presence felt and let these guys know that you're not going to be sitting around letting guys letting ducks or letting even letting good fighters stick around if you can get him out of there you got to be able to get him out of there and that's something too as you go to a higher level because you know the knockouts and stuff like that aren't going to come as frequent at a higher level so if you get an opportunity to get a, you got to you know when you have a guy hurt to get them out of there you have to be able to really just be ferocious and take care of business yeah absolutely um, but yeah that is everything really for the review part of the show just before we wrap up part one it is now time to welcome and it's a brilliant interview this so do not skip through it it's a fantastic interview we're going to welcome here our very first guest ladies and gentlemen please welcome the former wba lightweight champion of the world it is of course mr ray mancini ray welcome to the show sir 
Well, Joe, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm very pleased that you're here also. So, Ray, first things first, a typical opening question, really. How did you first get into boxing? Why did you, you know, first get into boxing as a young kid? Most people know that um, I'm fought because my father was a fighter in the 1930s and 1940s. He was the number one contender in the world, signed to fight for the world title in January of 1942, and got drafted, I mean, got signed to fight for the title in February of 1942, Got jazzed in January of 1942, so consequently, never got the opportunity to fight for the title. And I always heard about how he should have been, could have been, would have been world champion if it wasn't for the war. So when I was a little boy, people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I used to say, I want to be a fighter or a world champion for my father. And a lot of these people thought, oh, that's cute. A little boy wants to be a fighter for his father. But that's all I ever wanted to be. That's all I knew. So, but it's funny because my father, on the other hand, People think you're a fighter because your father. Yes and no. Yes, because I wanted to be him. But no, he's the one who tried to talk me out of it the worst way. He knew what type of pain uh, life it is, that it's a painful life, a lonely life. So he tried to talk me out of it because I had other opportunities. I had academic as well as athletic scholarships to go to college. I had a professional baseball offer. I had other opportunities, things I could have done. And he said, Raymond, I had a fight. It was depression. You have so many other things you can do. I said, no, Dad, I want to win the title. I want to win the world title for you. So that, that was it. That's the reason I got into it. <laughs> and obviously you mentioned your father there, obviously a top contender during the 1940s especially. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, did he like to stay active. He boxed 12 times in 1939, 13 times in 1940, and another 13 times in 1941. So in a three-year period, 38 fights. That really... That really is a thing of the past. It obviously doesn't happen nowadays. It's brilliant. No, it, it don't. And I'm glad you, you, you reiterate. I didn't even know the, the exact how many times you fought one year. And that's pretty impressive because, like you said, these guys nowadays, they fight once or twice a year because, because of the money. But look, if it was back then, my father, he fought because he said, like he said, it was depression. Raymond, I had to eat. You know, you have, the, you have a broken hand or, 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 or a swollen hand or, or, or a bruised hand. He's doing a fight. Same thing with the eyes. So no matter what, they, these guys had a fight to eat. It was literally, you know, a, uh, for them to eat, they had a fight. So it's, it's obviously much different nowadays. But I like to think of those nowadays, and he fought in the same time period. I think he'd be a million-dollar fighter because of his style. And the people would have loved him. And he wouldn't have had a fight so often, obviously. And if I was fighting back then, I'd probably been fighting as often as he was. <laughs> In 1980, my sec- my first full year as a pro, I fought 12 times, average of once a month. But you know, you do it because you got you want to stay active when you're healthy and you're strong and you're and you're, and you're you know winning and you, you want to keep moving. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, you made that jump from amateur to pro in October of 1979. You made your debut against Phil Bowen. Uh, the fight didn't even last one round; it was over before you knew it. What do you remember from that fight, Ray? Did you have any pre-fight nerves making your pro debut? Well, every absolutely, I was nervous before every fight. People always say, "Were you nervous before every fight?" I said, "Absolutely," but that's a good thing. I was nervous not of the fighter, not of the fight. I was nervous of the of the unknown, you know, <laughs> meaning if I get cut, how am I going to react? I, I get dropped. How am I going to react? And things like that. So a lot of questions you have, but every fighter should have those questions. So you go over it in your mind. So once you replay it in your mind, if it should happen, you've already been there, so to speak. 
And that's what they call positive mental visualization. Sports psychologists say, go through the fight in your mind, every scenario. And then you'll know. Then you'll know, you know, once you, if it happens, you've already been there in your mind. So that's kind of what I've done throughout my life without knowing it was the right thing. I didn't learn about positive mental visualization until later in my career. But that's that's what it was. So, of course, you visualize everything and and, and you're nervous before the fight, but you want to be nervous because it keeps you on edge. It keeps you sharp. If you're not nervous, then, then that's, when you, that's when you can get lulled to sleep. And that's when you get, you know, lazadaisical and that's when you get caught. Yeah, absolutely. And like like you say, you were very active. Only six months after turning pro, you were already 8-0 and with seven knockouts. You then boxed for your first title, the Ohio State title against Bobby Sparks. Right. And much like, right. much like your pro debut, you knocked your man out in a round. What was it like to pick up a first piece well, of hardware as a well, pro? Well, it was beautiful. It was great to, to see that. Now, they didn't have a belt for Ohio State. They had a trophy, which was just as good. You know, it's nice to have the title. Look, titles are nice, and they mean things as you're on the climb because it gives you, you know, it just gives you a credibility for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but, you know, ultimately, the ultimate goal is the world title. So when I won the state of Ohio lightweight championship, then I won the North American title, but it still wasn't the lightweight title, you know? And these are the things that mean everything. These are the fights that, that, that those are the belts that you want, you know, to be world champion is, is significant. So for me, those, those are things, but they're stepping stones along the way. You have to have stepping stones. And it just let me know that my career was headed in the right direction, that I was doing things the right way. But, um, uh, you know, titles and everything, the fights are, are, are good. Um, like I said, I want to be an active fighter. Um, the, you know, they're, like I said, they're, 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 they give you confidence as you're climbing the ladder, but um, by no means are they, you know, a, a state title or a North America title is nothing like to get that world title. And we will talk about that shortly. Uh, ten wins later, after this race, seven by knockout in those ten those ten wins. By this time, uh, you just beaten Jorge Morales for the NABF title. You then box Jose Luis Ramirez. Now he had a beautiful looking record, seventy one and three going into that fight. And of course, the year previous, he he'd lost that split decision to the great Alexis Arguello, yeah. um, a fight where Ramirez actually had Arguello down. Now you, however, went on to dominate. Ramirez pretty much every round it was almost a shutout what do you remember from that fight against no. Ramirez who of course well, went on to be a two-time WBC world champion himself yeah what I remember most about it is that Ramirez was very uh, confident in the fight we were fighting they offered the fight in my, you know the next town over for me uh, Warren Ohio and yeah I said yeah sure I'll come you know, he was so confident that they didn't care where they fought me and I was such a big underdog that they didn't even have the uh, betting line in Las Vegas because he was just so experienced. He had over at that time he had over uh, seventy fights, and of, or I'm sorry, over sixty fights, over sixty no, fights. Over and 70. of course, I right, was just my right over seventy. What, that, that, okay, and and um, uh, I only had eighteen, but I had seen the fight with Aguayo, and I actually thought he beat Aguayo. I actually thought he won the fight, and, and of course, if the fight wasn't in Miami Beach. It would, he would have lost. Alexis would have lost. Anywhere else, he loses. So everyone thought this was the opportunity to have to rematch. But he fought me and they t- took a pick, uh, what they thought was a tuna fight against me. 
because at that time, the CBS was holding a um, WPC, a lightweight tournament. So the top eight guys fought each other. And um, that's why originally I fought um, Jose uh, Jorge Morales. And then when I beat him, I fought the next fight was against Ramirez. And then the next fight was to get a title. And um, so everyone, nobody thought I was going to get past Ramirez, obviously. And um, But when I beat him and I shut him out in all 12 rounds, because it was a smart fight, I fought smart. I was aggressive, but I boxed. And not a lot of people, not a lot of people had seen me box before. And so I, I totally befuddled him and had him, you know, I, I worked him, I punched him, and I, you know, I had boxed him and I thought him. So it was, it was a new, uh, new things to people, to my repertoire that they hadn't seen before. Yeah, sensational win at the time, that one. And then, only six weeks later, you were in the ring against the aforementioned Alexis Arguello for his WBC lightweight world title. Now, the fight, of course, was a real thriller while it lasted, but ultimately, it wasn't meant to be your night. You were stopped in the 14th round. You suffered your first career loss. Now, a first loss, obviously, Ray, can either make you or break you as a fighter. Would you agree with that statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of guys fold. Everyone thinks they're having a zero at the end of your record, you know, on, you know, having zero on their lot. It means something. It don't mean anything. It just means a lot of guys have zeros for a long time. It means you're not fighting a whole lot of guys. You're not fighting the top guys, you know. So, you know, I, I was in my twin fight, and I took on a world team and, and won an all-time great. And I don't know how great Lexus was. I was a fan of his growing up. I saw when he beat uh, Ruben Olivares for a featherweight title. I saw when he beat Escalera for the, for the junior lightweight title. I saw when he moved up to lightweight. I just thought I was a little too strong for him and a little too young. But Lexus, like any great fighter, uses his experience. I had to have the experience, and he and he used this experience to beat me. And um, but after that fight, I knew I'd be a world champion. Yeah, that's brilliant to hear you say that because, like I say, as as I just said, you know, it can either make you or break you. It certainly seemed to make you, and you did bounce back with two knockout wins over Manuel Adaboy and Julio Valdez before making a second attempt at the world title. This time, obviously, for the WBA world title against the champion Arturo Frias. However, uh, while you were training for the fight, there was obviously an incident where. I believe three, was it three gunmen showed up at your hotel looking for you? To this day, their identities have never been discovered. That must have been pretty scary. Well, you know, it's funny because people, a lot of people don't know that. I'm surprised you know that. So that's, that's pretty, you did, your, you did your diligence. You checked out that funny. Um, I, yeah, it was weird. I was in the gym and the U.S. Marshals came to the gym and they told my trainer all of a sudden during training, Griff, my Mur- trainer, Murphy Griffith, stopped me. He said, Ray, man, you got to talk to these guys. And they come in and they identified themselves as U.S. Marshals and they explained to me that they had gotten received, they had received a call from the hotel when they had been that, that one of the chambermaids uh, said that men were looking for me at the hotel and they had guns. And they and she and they asked her, "What do you think they want on Mancini?" She was, "I don't know. I think they wanted to kill him." And they said, "If they found a Mancini, she was, I think he'd be dead." And it was just a, it was the craziest thing. And the funny thing is how focused that was, is that they said, "Well, you know, you can't, you can't. Um, we got to get you back. You know, you have to be under a different room, uh, under a different name." 
And the next morning, I said, well, I, well, I said, I said, I got to go do road work tomorrow. And I said, no, no. I said, no, no, I'm doing road work. You could follow me. You could be with me, but I'm doing road work. I have a fight in three weeks. It, it was two and a half weeks. And I said, I got a fight in two and a half weeks, and I'm not going to let this deter me. And so next morning, they got up and whatever, and they did the, you know, and drove in a car bus. But that was it. And then we called Bob Arum and made the arrangements to fly to Las Vegas right away. So I was there two and a half weeks before I should have been. And one of the stories that a lot of people don't know is we we, we always had four spawn partners. So we left two of them in Tucson and we figured we'd pick up two when we got to Las Vegas. When we got there, and especially the last the last 10 days, um, Murphy Griffith, my trainer, had been close friends with Eddie Futch. They knew each other very well. And he asked Eddie Futch, he said, do you have anybody my kid can work with? He says, well, I don't have any lightweights, but I got a junior lightweight right over here. And this kid will give you all the work you want. And the first 10 days, or the first, I should say, the first four or five days, he slapped the crap out of me. He kicked the crap out of me. And then, because he was a lot faster than me, until I caught up. Because, you know, that's when you know you're getting in shape, you know. And I was catching. Then all of a sudden, I had five, six, about a week later, I caught up to him. And I started catching him and putting it to him. And that young man was named Freddie Roach. <laughs> wow, that's, that's, that's yeah. incredible. And, and I tell people, and I tell people all the time, I always love Freddie for what he did for me. Not because he had to, because he got me. We, you know, and we offered him pay, and he wouldn't take the pay. He said, no, no, I'm getting ready for a fight, too. And I told him, pay him. I don't care. He said, and he said no, and he wouldn't take the money. And I always love Freddie because, and we, I've talked about it many times, I told that story, and he always laughs. Yeah, yeah, I had a good week. Nah, he Freddie could fight. People don't realize how good a fighter he was. It's just that unfortunately he couldn't punch. He was not a big puncher. If Freddie could punch, he'd been world champion several times over. Oh, that's an incredible. Because he, always, he had too much, yeah, he, he had too much heart, too much guts for anybody. But he just couldn't punch. So that's why he was always in a war because you know he's gonna stand up with anybody. But he just couldn't punch to keep guys off of him. But I'll, I, but that's a true story. We got there. He sparred with me, and he. Believe me, he got me ready for that fight as, as much, if not more, than anybody. That is brilliant, man. That's an incredible story, man. Yeah. That is, that's fantastic yeah. to hear that. Yeah. But, but back onto the fight itself, Arturo Frias. I mean, I tell you what, Ray, a lot of people talk about the first round between Hagler and Hearns. I don't know why people don't mention mm -hmm. the first round of Frias-Mancini because it's definitely one of the best rounds I've ever seen. Well, no, I mean, yes. I mean, if that was round of the year, a lot of people said the best one-round fight ever. And I'm flattered and I'm honored by that. The first Hagler Hearns was a great was a great was a great round too, but they still went on another two rounds. So it's the best three round fight. But it wasn't the best one round fight. We were the best round fight. And I think I, our round was a better round than theirs the first round. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but it was great. They did great, but I'm I'm very honored. And look, Art caught me early on. He came out, you know, and he jumped on me and he caught me and then he you know, and I, you know, when you're hurt you you do one of two things. You'd be punched back, cover up, or fire back, and I chose to fire back. Do you know what? Just not going off of off, off of the subject, but I'll tell you another great one-round fight. I don't know if you ever did see this. Um, did you ever get to see Kendall Holt and Ricardo Torres? No, oh, no, boy, oh boy. But I've heard, I've heard about, I've heard about. Yeah, that, that was incredible. But I've never got to see that. Was incredible. I think it was the yeah. rematch between them both. But um, just in a nutshell. 
uh, Kendall Holt was down twice and he got up off the deck. He was really shaky and he actually managed to knock Torres out. And all this happened in 61 seconds. It didn't even go any further than that. There's three knockdowns oh in 61 seconds. It was incredible. But anyway, back on wow. back onto wow. yourself, Ray. Um, just if you can, just try to put it into words for me. I mean, you know, you, you were able to win a title there in a round. What, what, right. what does that feel like? How do you describe the moment you became world champion? Where does it rank amongst the best nights of your life? It was, well, other than to me, one of my children born. It was the best time, best day of my life. Yes. And, yeah, it was euphoric. It was a euphoric feeling. It was a euphoric feeling. It's, it's the what one, the fourth? Just, it's the, well, why, why, let me clarify, let me clarify, let me clarify that. Uh, each one of my children born and being married to my wife. Okay. That's like, I'd be mean, like, you gotta be kidding me. You ain't so much of ain't money. <laughs> that's a different, you know, it's a different, people are saying, they look at you, it's a different type of feeling when you have a child and then when you win a title that you've won long for. That's a whole different feeling. <laughs> that's why it's the greatest to you. I see a great in life. But marrying my bride is right there. Right there. Yeah, that's that's a cool story. Obviously, how you both met so many years later. I know about that as well. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, you know that story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, obviously your yeah. your first defense of of the, yeah. of the title, Ray, yeah. against Ernesto yeah. Espana. Um, Espana's probably yeah. one of the biggest lightweights I've ever seen, actually. And and you yes. were, you know, you were five foot four and a half. You know, you had no trouble really finding him at all. I should mention Espana also had two fights with Arturo Frias. They both won one each. So this this win was just further but, proof, really, that you, you were a level above these guys. Yeah, well, yeah, I, well, I hope so. I, I like to think so. But, <laughs> you know, of course, that's being presumptuous. Yeah, I beat them. Um, Art fought, they, you know, they split one and one. And then you know, Espana uh, at the title fight, the rematch against me, or, or I should, I'm sorry, not the rematch, I'm sorry, he had the, my first title defense. You know, it's funny how these guys uh, um, somehow become the number one contender. They just miraculously end up there. One time they're there, and the next one time they're not, and next time they're there. But by the graces of the... Or, the organizations, the voting organizations, right? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, and he, and he was a tall, 5'11", um, difficult, strong puncher, good puncher. I've seen him in other fights. I saw him when he won the title. Um, but, you know, I just, we got the right style for him. And, the, you know, we kept aggression. We trained very, very hard for that type of fight. It would be a very aggressive fight. To stay on top of him, don't let him breathe. Pressure, 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 all that, and keep banging that body. It's just a, a sustained body attack. And then we felt once we got to tap that body, then he, we'd better break him down and then I could tap that chin. Absolutely, and you really did. And uh, obviously, your your next fight, Ray, was obviously um, a very, a very tragic one, to say the least. You defended successfully mm-hmm. your WBA yeah. world title against South Korea's Duck Koo Kim. Uh, you scored the knockout in mm-hmm. round 14. The fight was action-packed while it lasted. What do you actually remember from the fight itself, Ray? Well, it was a very brutal fight. Very brutal fight. Very strong, determined challenger. And especially when people are fighting, you know, it's like, oh, the guys I, defend, I fought against were all, other than Bobby Chacon, were all uh, from uh, outside the United States. When you find somebody from another country, they're always, always much tougher to fight because you're fighting 
someone who's carrying the, 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 the weight of their country with them, the hopes and dreams of their country. So it's always going to be a much more difficult fight. So um, I remember that it was a very difficult, how strong he was, how determined he was, how aggressive he was. And even when I hit him with shots to back him up, he kept coming forward. And I couldn't have a very difficult time discouraging you. Other guys, you know, when they felt my power, they would, you know, back off, be a little discouraged, but he wasn't. Um, it was just a brutal fight. And if what happened didn't happen, it would be one of the fights that you see on replays on ESPN, uh, classic fights all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, the the events that followed the, the fight unfortunately kind of overshadowed what happened in the ring. You kinda of just said that there as well. Um I can only I can only imagine, Ray, how sensitive this whole thing is for you. So like I say, I don't want to push you too hard with anything here, but I just wanna let the people know that uh, that may not know. Obviously your opponent Dukku Kim uh, collapsed after the fight, he fell into a coma. Four days later he would die in hospital. His mother flew from South Korea to the US to be at his bedside. His mother then three months later decided to take her own life and then perhaps perhaps unrelated but five months after that the referee of the contest Richard Green also took his own life as I say Ray I can only imagine how difficult of a position these events left you in what can you tell us about it from your point of view it's obviously been highly documented you were in a real bad place yeah of course it was a bad place it was heartbreaking you know I just because it's never in anybody's intention you go in there because it's for the sport, it's a sporting event, and we understand that. And the thing that gets bothered me the most was how come him and not me? Who's to say it wouldn't be me next time? Because my style of fighting was not going to change. So I guess that's what stayed with me most. That's what bothered me the most. And um, and I just you know said my prayers, but I and I, w- I didn't know if I wanted to retire or if I wanted to move forward. I just I was in a very uh, play a bad place in my life at the time for a period of small period of time. The one thing I've learned because of my faith, my, my faith is what carried me through my faith in Christ. My, and I felt that for me, I had to make a decision quickly. Not in, I mean, quickly in the sense that some people hold on, they wait, they wait, and they never move on with their lives. And when they move on, it's very begrudgingly. For me, I couldn't do that. And so I had to move on quickly. Or for me, the best thing is to move on quickly. Make peace with it. I said my prayers, made peace with it, and then I moved on. And then a couple months later, I was going to fight again. But it was a very difficult thing to go through, especially the fight with his mother and then what happened to Richard. Um, but, you know, I, I can't control, I can only control, I can't control things outside myself. So these are things, obviously, I, I didn't have any control over. And it's uh, sad, unfortunate, but you have to come to clubs with it and move forward. Look, there's only three things. People, three, there's only three things in life. With three ways to go, I should say, in life: you move forward, you move backwards, or you stand still. Two to three ain't good. So, you know, you could choose what you could. There's one of three choices. Only one is the right choice. And that's what I chose to do. No, I like I like the uh, the way you put that. I like that about the three choices. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, at the time, Ray, you 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 flew over to South Korea. You attended the funeral. Looking back now, because I know that... no, 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 no. That's see, that's been said, and that's not true. Okay. I went to South Korea. I've gone to South. I've been to South, but years later, I didn't go over for the funeral. That's been written, and I don't know where they got that because <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to attend the funeral, but I was told. But we have a very good friend, family friend, who's from Korea 
Lou was in he was and he actually had diplomatic relations with the government, the, the uh, Korean government. And he said, extended my condolences to the family, to the government, to the country. And he said, but it would not be a good time for me to go over. Not the right time. Too many. That was too fresh. There was a lot of uh, bad feelings at that moment. Oh, that's cool. and, at a later time, and I wound up going over later years. I, I early, you know, I forgot. I think it was like 2003, 2004, 2005, something like that's when I went over. But I was long after that, and I and the people were very loving towards me, and they and they said to me, "We understand what happened, and we feel." You're one of us now because we feel his spirit is lives through you. Wow. So I was very flattered and very honored. But no, I didn't go. And a lot of people have said that. I've heard that many times. I wanted to, but that I was advised not to. So obviously I didn't. Okay, it's good to clear that up. I didn't want to uh, carry on yeah. with a question. No, thanks for cutting me off there. <laughs> that, that's okay. That's okay. Um, obviously, after that fight, Bob Arum famously said that you were never the same fighter after that. Would you agree with that statement, Ray? No, I wasn't. And I'll tell you, Bob said that I appreciate the sentiment. I appreciate the, the fact that they were c- considerate of my feelings. But no, look, I went out and I fought right after, and I knocked out Jose Luis from. I I, uh, I fought a non-title fight. No, I was not impressed with that non-title fight against George Feeney, but I beat him decisively. And then I went out and knocked Jose, uh, Orlando Romero out, and then I knocked out Bob Chacon. I mean, I fought. I fought. I fought as hard as I did. The difference was here's the difference. Before that, I fought for righteous reasons to be the world champion for my father, to be the and once I want to tell the best champion I could be for my city of Youngstown, for my family, to be the best representative and the best champion I could be. After that fight, there was nothing good about it. For me, I lost all love for the sport. But it was I still it was an opportunity to gain my financial security. It was still I had devoted so much of my life and I was now the opportunity to make that pay off for me. That's why I continued to fight, fight hard, because it was a it became business for me then. It became business. Yeah, you mentioned there uh, the the George Feeney fight, a win against Arman from Britain. Obviously, mm-hmm. that one took place right. over in Italy. <laughs> uh, points win over ten, and then you mentioned right. also your third defense of the title against the undefeated Orlando Romero. You finally got to box at MSG, right. a venue that you dreamt of boxing at, and uh, right. you, you managed to stop right. him in the ninth round. And then your fourth and final successful world title defense against an excellent fighter, really, in Bobby Chacon. Um, obviously, a former featherweight and super featherweight world champion. And you were able to stop him in three rounds. Real impressive win there. Uh, what do you remember from that fight, Ray, in particular? Well, Bobby, I love Bobby. I was, I, I, I really love Bobby. I was a fan of Bobby. And, you know, but Bobby had just come up back-to-back fights of the year. Once against, one against Boza Edwards, your guy, Boza, who's a great fighter, and one against Bazooka Lamont. And I, I just felt I was too big and too strong for Bobby. I felt I was too big and too strong. But I matter of fact, he was willing to take on the fight. And he won, you know, and Bobby was a dangerous, dangerous fighter. You could never, you know, I just felt too big and too strong. And I just felt, at that time, I was 23 and Bobby was 32, I believe. And I, I said, I have to make him fight at a 23-year-old pace. Do not let him fight at a 32-year-old pace. So I had to keep the pressure on him. Because Bobby is very slick, very, very smart. And um, so, you know, one thing pressure does, pressure negates speed, pressure negates quickness, pressure negates a lot of things. When a guy's on top and you got to fight him, you ain't got a chance to do a whole lot. 
So that's why that fight was so important for me. And of course, after that, that was the first fight with Livingston Bramble. You were ahead in the fight right. on two scorecards, but were stopped in the 14th right. round. You lost the world title. Right. And if you think about it, Ray, that 14th round, or just round 14 in general, seemed to be a bit of a curse, actually, when you think about it. Obviously, the Aguello fight, well, the King I... fight, it, it was a bad <laughs> round, round 14. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't get caught up with that. I really don't. I never thought of that. I mean, you know, um, the Guayo fight was, you know, this was a fight that I just, yeah, you know, I just wasn't 100% healthy for, and that's no excuse. It just, it was the fact. It was a medical proof. But, but, but I, I took, the, I went in there anyway. I felt I had enough to beat him no matter what. Because people say, if, you didn't, if you're not healthy, don't go in there. And they're absolutely right. But I had trained so hard, and I felt no, so matter what, I'd still be have enough to beat him. But I was, but I was, you know, again, yeah, my wife's telling me, yeah, that's your ego. Yeah, that's ego. Ego makes you believe you can do the unbelievable, the unthinkable. You know, and so I believe I could do it. But it was just too much. If it's, look, if it's modern, if it's brief uh, times where there's only 12 rounds, I won the title. I hold on to my title. But that's why the true championship distance is 15. And he earned it. And he deserved it. And that's why I wanted the rematch right back. Because I knew I was 100% healthy. And I felt that I, if that's, I went 14 rounds with him and he couldn't knock me out. He, you know, I felt if I, if I was right, I would have beat him. And that's why I wanted to do the match right away. And the rematch happened eight months later. Um, I believe he had a fight in in between, but you didn't. You were right back at it, like I say, eight months right. later. This time it went the distance. You lost in the narrowest of fashions, just one point across all three scorecards. Did you agree with the decision that night or not, Ray? No, I, I really I felt, you know, it was a very difficult fight. I was bleeding from the second round off from cuts. But I felt, I, I, you know, if I watched the fight, and I felt I punched him. And even, you know, there's guys, there's writers. You know, what you know is when the writers write about it. And there's guys, there was one guy, a writer from New York, Dick Wolf. Dick Wolf didn't give me credit for anything. Very hard determined old, you know, writer, curmudgeon of a writer. He didn't give me credit for anything. But that fight, he said, I didn't know that blood scored points. I thought it was punches. And if that's the case, Ray Mancini won that fight clearly. Because I punched Bramble. And I thought, other than, you know, I was pretty And it was a very difficult fight. And he, and he was a terrific fighter and strong guy. But I punched him. And, I, you know, and I just thought I won that fight. I felt clearly I'd come away with victorious. But for whatever reason, yeah, I didn't get the decision. But in my mind, I was okay in the sense that I retired. I was going to retire after a fight no matter what. And I retired on top the way I wanted to. I went out on my terms. And in boxing, so, Ray, there, there are obviously, you know, there, there's boogeymen out there and guys that your style yeah. just doesn't work against. Would you say that Bramble right, was that, your boogeyman or did, you know, the outsider yeah. ring issues and stuff like that play a big part in your back-to-back losses to him? No, Styles make fights, and he's a difficult style for me, just as I'm a difficult style for him. Yeah. <laughs> and so if we had 10 fights, 10 out of 10 times are going to play it at the same. He ain't going to go back. I'm going to have to push him back. He's going to try to push me back. Um, the first time, uh, if I wasn't, you know, like I said, I wasn't held this, and, and he was able to do that the second half of the fight. The first, second fight, he couldn't do that. I, I, I moved when I wanted to move, and I pushed him back. So... Um, I think, yeah, Styles make fights. It's just certain guys that have a, are prompt for certain guys. And uh, he would have been that type of fight for me. But like I said, 10 out of 10 times, we'd have the same type of fight. There'd always be a war. 
I'd get him half the time, or maybe he'd get me half the time. But I, I like to think I would have got him more than half the time. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, Ray, you, you retired after that. Um, you know, you were only, was it 23 or 24 at the time? I was 24 when I, I thought I was, my, I was 23 when I fell out, but I was 24 when I announced my retirement. Okay, okay. And like, like I say, you did, however, make a return to the ring four years later. You returned right. against the right. undefeated Hector Macho Camacho. You lost a split decision over 12 rounds for the WBO yeah. world title. Um, that really could have been one of the best comebacks we've ever seen. Well, I knew look, Camacho was a personal thing. I, I We were supposed to fight. When Bramble, when the fight with Bramble happened, we were, it was supposed to be Camacho. And they were going to, Bramble was going to take step aside money, <laughs> which was not uncommon at that time. And then he'd fight the winner. But for whatever reason, WBA came on and said at the last minute, I think it was because they got pressure from, from Bramble's people, which originally agreed to, and they changed that if he would take step aside money. But they pressured him to have him make, to make the fight happen. So once it happened, you know, that was it. Uh, but Camacho was personal. I always wanted to fight Camacho. That was a personal thing. So when the opportunity came up to fight him, I was still in shape. I was still kept myself together. It's been four years. I was not sharp. I hadn't been in the ring. And it's not the smartest thing for a guy like Mike Stow, a guy who's a boxer, a banger. A Ray Leonard could do it. A Camacho could do it. These are boxers. They could get out, move, move around for three or four rounds. They could acclimate it to the ring. Where in my style, I have to come forward right from the jump. But I knew I wasn't going to get hurt against Camacho. I knew Camacho was not a puncher. I knew I wasn't going to get hurt. So I did it. So that's why I, and I felt, you know, I, I did everything I wanted to do. And it was not a great fight. It was a good fight, but it was not a great fight. Because like I said, I was not sharp or anything. And all he did was run. But I certainly beat him. And he knows it. Even if it meant up to fight. Yeah, I lost, but they gave it to me. So I won. Yeah, I mean, like I say, kind of robbed of one of the greatest comebacks ever to, to have four years out like that. And then uh, you retired for another three years before returning against Greg Hogan. Uh, but on that, on that right. occasion, of course, you were stopped in the seventh round, your, no, your no. final fight ever. Um, any words on that, Ray? Yeah, I mean, look, that was ego. The first fight with Camacho was personal, like I said. Three years, that was ego. I was doing an off-Broadway show in New York when they offered me to fight Greg Hogan. Now, you have to understand, I was happy with my life, but boxing is not a, I mean, uh, acting is not a physical thing. It's a mental, emotional thing. I need to be challenged physically. I wanted to see if I could still come back and compete like a world-class athlete. So I said, yeah, yeah, I want to do it. But that was ego. And know what ego does? Ego gets you your ass whipped. That's what ego does. Figuratively and literally, it gets you your ass whipped. So what happened was supposed to happen, I guess, because I went in there... I had a training camp. Training camp was great, but training camp's a dress rehearsal. You know, I just had my second child, my first son, and I left him when he was only a couple of months old. I felt guilty. I felt bad. And um, that song from Mary Clapton, Tears in Heaven, that would come on every day around the same time, 3 o'clock, and I felt guilty. So, I, I mean, I, you know, before my attitude was, I'm going to, tonight, you're getting carried out. I'm getting carried out. My attitude this, I was like, oh, God, don't let me get hurt. My babies need me. Don't let me get hurt. So it was different. But but what happened should have happened because it left no more doubt. It was no more what ifs. I got one more left. No, that's it. I can't fight no more. Not that physically, but mentally I couldn't do it. But mental works over the physical. Yeah, for sure. So, Especially in boxing. It resolved. Yeah. It, it, 
Right, the result of for me. And you finally retired for good this time with a record yeah. of 29 yeah. and 5, yeah. 23 wins by knockout. But, but, Joe, but Joe, let me clarify. I People always ask me my record, I say 30 and 4. Because the fight against Camacho, yes. I will never say I lost that fight. No. They record wise, I said, no, I didn't beat Camacho. I did not lose Camacho. I beat Camacho. So if you ask me, it's 30 and 4. That's it, 30 and 4. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, I want to go ahead, ask, go ahead, yeah. no, I want to ask you, uh, Ray, who who was the best fighter that you ever boxed? Lex Arguello, without a doubt. Lex Arguello is one of the greatest fighters of all time. Top 10 Latinos and top, top 20, 30, 25 fighters of all time. And did you have any... Any, any any regrets in your boxing career? Was there perhaps anyone that you wish you could have fought, but you know the fight didn't happen? Yes, the, well Camacho early in my when well, we were supposed to nineteen eighty three, and um, or, or eighty four I should say nineteen eighty four, and uh, Aaron Pryor. Aaron Pryor. Now I got to be good friends with Aaron later on, but that was a fight everyone was talking about, and I felt very comfortable, very confident because his style. He was strong, aggressive, but he'd get dropped. A lot of guys. Would, he, he, they dropped him. He get up and knock him out. But a lot of guys dropped him because he had that chin up in the air. And I felt like if he fought me that way, I'd catch him with. I'd catch him and I'd drop him and I'd keep him down. But he was great. I loved Alexis. Don't I mean? I mean Aaron. I loved Aaron. We got we got to be good friends. And he's you know one of, he's the greatest junior welterweight of all time. One one fighter that I I want to throw at you here actually, Ray. I would like to know what you think on this. If you ever did get the chance to fight this this, I envision as being a complete mad fight. Yourself against Vinny Pazienza. Yeah, you know, people say that, and Vinny's a friend of mine. And Vinny goes out and said, Ah, oh, you know, I'd have done this, I'd have done that. And I told him, finally, I told him one time, Hey, man, because he says it on Facebook a lot. But I like Vinny. But I told him, I said, Look, quit putting crap like that out there. People make comments, let, let them talk. That's fine. Let, that's for the fight fan. But if you're going to start making comments, I'd have kicked the shit out of you, I told him. I'd have kicked the shit, I'd have walked through you. I don't walk. You had nothing to keep me off you with. You couldn't punch and lick as a lightweight. You got to when you got to be a junior middleweight, you could punch because oh, Ben Rockstein went from one forty. He couldn't punch as a lightweight or junior welterweight at one forty. All of a sudden, he goes to one fifty four, one sixty, and he can punch and he's knocking guys out. Oh, I wonder how that happened. So I, I finally I told him stop that shit. You want to let people talk about it? If you want to start, I mean, you can have a problem. And so we laugh now. We we see each other. We laugh about it, but. Uh, I, I don't Vinny. I, I admire Vinny for what he accomplished. I admire what he did later on with the broken neck. What he it was probably the greatest comeback in, in sports sports history. But as a fighter, as lightweight and junior one, when we fought at the weights we fought at, I would have I would have beat him. I would have beat him, and I walked. I would have walked through him and walked him down. I wouldn't say I would knock him out. I would just say I would have walked through him, but I would have walked him down. It'd been a war for as long as it went, but I would have beat him. I would have beat him. Yes. Yeah, no, I didn't know that you guys had a bit of back and forth or whatever. Um, but no, that's well, just... we're, we're, he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine. But he says, you know, you got to tell him to get off that stuff. Quit taking comments like that. Other people, let them say comments. Yeah. Some people think you beat me. Most people think I beat you. Let them sign. But don't, don't you make the comments. I don't make no comments. Don't you? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I remember we 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 did an interview with him, and he was uh, being very vocal on Greg Haugen. He really doesn't like him to this day. <laughs> no, they don't. I know they don't. But. That's him and that's Hagen because yeah. Hagen's, you know, they, 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 I never had any problems with him. We were friends and I never made any comments about him. But he started making comments like that on Facebook. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah, for sure. And nowadays, Ray, you're, you're working obviously as a boxing yeah. analyst. Um, how's, how's that yeah. going for you, Ray? You enjoying that? Going great. I'm loving it. I love it. It's easy talking about something you know about. 
and I know fights, and I know how to fight, and, and I like to consider myself a boxing. Um, I, I'd like to think I know fighters, and I, and I have a high boxing IQ, so I could talk about styles and, and, and matchups and things like that. And, and I like to talk, uh, when I'm doing commentary, I like to talk about what a guy should be doing and before he's doing it. You know, people could see that guy gets given a right hand, left hook. I like to talk about what the guy should be doing. He's trying to set him up. I was talking about Robert Hellenius from uh, Finland. And Finland, he dropped, he jabbed him. He was the, uh, Joe Washington, 6'6. Six, six. Hellenius was 6'9. Six, six, Washington, 6'5. Hellenius is 6'7. And he kept jabbing and dropping his right hand. And Joe Washington kept throwing, trying to throw his right hand. And I said, if you don't pick up that jab, First round, he's missing him. The second round, he's going to miss him. But by the end of the fight, he's going to catch him. Or Robert Hellenius was winning the fight, the whole fight. The last round, boom, dropped right hand over the top, caught him on chin, and he went down like a sack of rice. <laughs> yeah. And it happened, just the way I said. Oh, no, so, that's... I mean, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy talking. People want to hear what you think is going to happen as the fight's going on. But two or three, they want to see your stuff from two or three rounds ahead. They don't want to hear what you, that what they could see. They could see a guy get hit with a right hand, left hook. Why is he throwing that right hand left hook? What's he trying to do? These are things I've tried by something a little different, a little introspective. Respect to you, Ray, for that. Um, you get a lot of guys, Thank obviously, you. that uh, like to just call what a lot of people can see, as you mentioned. So it's good to have a bit of, a bit of different stuff going on there. Um, Aside from being a boxing analyst, I'm struggling with that word tonight for some reason. Um, have you got any other cool things going on outside the ring, Ray? Oh, yeah. oh absolutely! I have an entertainment company, and we're, we're you know producing films, and and uh, I produce for studios. And now we're in pre-production on a film project that happened in October. I have a wine company, and I have a bourbon company. So I have a lifestyle company that you know keeps me keeps me busy. So, yeah, I got a couple of hours in front, a couple of different things happening. You know, you got, you got to keep your hands in a lot of different things. You know, you, you know, I'm a firm believer that you, you make money from a multitude of uh, of sources, not one big source. Okay, interesting. Where can we where can we purchase some wine from somewhere, Ray? Well, the wine you can, is, is right now. It's only in Northeast Ohio. In Ohio, we haven't gone national yet. We're not going to do that with. And then we're going to come out with another. I'm doing on my next round. We call it round one. This is round five. We just come with our kids' vintage. We're looking to do round six later this year or early next year. But um, but then the bourbons, again, we're looking to go national with that very soon. Thanks. So uh, the, the the wine right now is, again, just here. So to get, you know, it's hard to ship things uh, national, domestically, more or less internationally. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's much difficult. But but uh, uh, well, I'll see what I can do. I'll send you something. You know, you can text me an address. I'll see what I could do to get you some. <laughs> I appreciate that, Ray. And coming, yeah, you enjoy it. I think you'd enjoy it. I'm sure I, think I will. Enjoy I'm sure I will. And coming down to the last couple questions, Ray, I want to kind of put you on the yeah. spot a little bit here. Whenever we speak to somebody okay. from from overseas, I like to ask this. Who would you say, who comes to mind when I ask you, who's your favorite UK fighter of all time? Well, I, I my favorite, I have two favorites. But number one, and that thing is, and I've got to know him and be friends. I got to be friends with both guys, but number one is Kenny Buchanan. Okay. Kenny Buchanan. Oh, number one. Okay, number top three. I got three. <laughs> Kenny, Bu- Kenny Buchanan. I got to know Kim Madam. He's a wonderful guy. Just a lovely, lovely man. And I don't think people know how good he was. I really don't think they realize how good he was. 
and his record should show that. Number two, I think, he, and I think he's the UK's greatest champion. Though others argue about that, there's, uh, and, and they may argue with the other guy on my list, but I think he's the greatest UK champion. Number two is Barry McGuigan, another man I got to be friends with. Another great fighter. He beat one of the greatest featherweights of all time when he beat Pedroza. He still beat Pedroza. And he did it in America. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He did it over there. I'm sorry. That, that, when he beat Pedroza, he beat him in Ireland. And uh, he, he just beat him from top to bottom. And uh, number three, Joe Calzaghe. Yeah. And a lot of people think Calzaghe would be the greatest fighter from the UK because he was undefeated and beat the guy. And they very well may be. I love Joe Calzaghe. So... But um, those are my top three. Yeah, that's a very solid list. I won't argue with that. Some brilliant, yeah. brilliant names there, yeah. especially Kazaki. I hear that one all the time. Um, yeah. And finally, Ray, just before I let you go, I wanted to just kind of give you an opportunity perhaps to send a message to your supporters over here in the UK. Obviously, huge boxing fans over here. Many, many guys over here respect you and love you. What's your message to those guys? I've been coming back for the last several years to the UK at the end of February. I'm sorry, end of February. I'm sorry, at the end of September. I'm sorry, September. A friend of mine, Scott Murray, has an event at Bar Sport in uh, uh, Birmingham where he has uh, Scott Murray's Bar Sport and they have banquets. And I've been doing it with Kenny, Barry, and uh, you know others uh, through the last uh, four of the last five years. and Or three of the last four years. I'm sorry, three of the last four years. I love it. The people from Birmingham. Too. So the first day I fly into to um, London, we go have tea. Me and my bride and Scott takes to have tea and scones at the Ritz. So we, we hit the Ritz, and then we drive up, and then we take a tour around Piccadilly Square, and then Piccadilly Plaza. What is it? Piccadilly Square or Piccadilly Plaza? Circus. When you spell their circus. Okay, yeah, that's. <laughs> we drive around there and see it in different spots. And then we drive up to Birmingham and stay there and just lovely, lovely people. And then three years ago, I went to Cardiff Wells, which was a great city. Two years ago, I went to uh, Scotland, uh, uh, Glasgow. And then last year, I went to Dublin. So, um, you know, it's just, I, I, I just love that trip. It's one of my favorite trips. And uh, the people there treat me wonderful. The people there are absolutely uh, just lovely, lovely people. Um, they love their sports. You got to. I love the fact that they are 100% behind the fighters, behind their sports. They're sports fanatics, and um, it's just a beautiful part of the world. I think everyone should be able to see it. Very well said, my friend. Like I said, a lot of people over here absolutely love you. They truly do. Listen, Ray, it has been a complete pleasure speaking with you this week and going over your entire career. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a complete honor spending time with a legend like yourself. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, Joe. It's very kind of you. I appreciate it, and I enjoyed it very much. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Uh, we're going to start here with the fact that Eddie Hearn has now announced, we, we heard a few whispers last week, but it's now official. It was announced this week, earlier on, I think it was Monday it was announced. Um, Andy Ruiz Jr. against Anthony Joshua, the rematch, it's going to be happening in Saudi Arabia. Weird, really, to see a heavyweight world title fight happen over there, but of course, 
Uh, we've, we've seen a couple fights there now involving British fighters. I think the the ones to, to kind of break through was Callum Smith against George Groves. Then we saw most recently Amir Khan and Billy Dibb. And now the, the biggest fight potentially, possibly, one of the biggest fights really in boxing right now is, is heading to Saudi. So... Uh, Interesting, really, Eddie. I mean, it took us all by surprise. You'd 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 have to say it's obviously for monetary gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not really, it's not, it's not, you know, a fight really for for, for the fans because it's, it's going to be a very hard place to get to. Mm-hmm. But um, let's just talk. About, I mean, let's rather than the actual logistics of it, let's talk about the fight itself. I mean, we haven't, I don't think, spoke about it on the podcast. But um, mm-hmm. how do you see the second fight going? A lot of people I speak to, they think that Ruiz will win this one as well. Well. In this one, uh, honestly, you can look at it, and I can see why people would think, you know, that Ruiz is going to have a similar kind of situation go on, minus the knockdown in this fight. However, um, I do think that maybe his style may be a bit of a problem for uh, for Anthony Joshua, and I can see how that can work. But to be honest, looking at Anthony Joshua even before the fight, even before the announcement of the names, you know what I mean? He didn't look uh, to be a hundred percent himself, not a hundred percent confident. He looked a little too relaxed. A little too like his, his his mind just wasn't there at that moment. I'm not taking anything from Anthony uh, for Andy Ruiz. However, um, what he brought to the table that night for that version of Anthony Joshua was too much. Now, if they fight again, you know, then I want to see what happens with you know the style, how the style styles mesh when we get a hundred percent of what Anthony Joshua has to offer. You know what I mean? Him him no excuses, being able to go in there and just fire off shots now. You know, when he dropped Andrew Ruiz the first time in the fight, it looked like, oh, okay, you know, business as usual. Anthony Joshua going to go in and take care of business like he's supposed to. But um, then you see a guy get up off the mat, you know, off the canvas, come back, and then not only get back into the fight right away and shake off whatever cobwebs there were, but to throw multiple punches in return. So it just makes it like, wow, you know what I mean? You look at a guy like that and you start to think, well, did that immediately put some doubt into Anthony Joshua's mind? You know, when you, when you drop somebody like that and you got you seem to have the fight under control and they get back up and then put you down, it sometimes can have a little more doubt creep up in your mind. Maybe the shot that he landed initially on Anthony Joshua really weakened his legs and took everything away from him. But just overall, him coming back with multiple punches seemed to be like, you know, something maybe at that moment uh, Anthony Joshua just wasn't really prepared to handle. Yep, and also, um, Billy Joe Saunders has now put pen to paper with Matram Boxing. It was the obvious move, really, once he'd amicably parted ways with his former promoter, Frank Warren, a guy that took him really from, well, from, from, from his debut, if I'm not mistaken, all the way up to the to the WBO world title. Actually, he's now a two-weight world champion, isn't he? He's got the super middleweight at the moment. Um, so, yeah, you know, they, they parted ways, unless he decided to completely you know, up and go and move to the States or something like that, then the obvious choice was to go with Eddie Hearn. Not only that, but it also opens the door for the, the big fights, you know, on the zone with, with, with Canelo, with Triple G, with Callum Smith. You know, there's many, many fights that can be made there. So uh, no real surprise, but that's that's an exciting one. You know, there, there's many big fights that can be made, and that's what we need really for Billy Joe Saunders because he's a guy that at some points in his career he has fought to the level of his opposition, uh, you know, it kind of springs to mind things like Willie Monroe Jr. Um, obviously, that that defence he had in um, in Scotland against Akavov, he can really he can really fight down if he's not motivated. 
then uh, we don't really see the best of him, sadly. So it'd be nice to see him in these big fights. He's got a, he's got a chance with anyone because he's seriously talented, Billy Joe. Uh, the other piece of news is that Tyson Fury has now been finally announced. It's happening September 14th against the undefeated Otto Wallin. That one to happen at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Um, it's unclear of if it's going to be on pay-per-view in the UK or not, but... Anyway, the big man's fighting the number one between us, certainly, Eddie. I know that we say he's the number one heavyweight in the world. We agree on that. But um, it's another fight, Eddie, really, that... I mean, some people are annoyed because they've got to wait longer to see him in there with Deontay Wilder again. But everyone has to kind of admit that, you know, he's the only guy to have took on Vladimir, to have took on uh, Deontay Wilder, you know, so he's... He's been in big fights time and time again. Mm-hmm. I know that this guy is a little bit of another kind of Tom Schwartz. So, again, people do, you know, box, as you know yourself, boxing fans are probably the most impatient fans in all sports. But um, it's another fight to, to watch. It's another undefeated guy. He's going to come and, and give it a good go. It's his world title fight. It's his chance to really upset the division and shake it up. So, yeah. it should be interesting. It should be interesting. I'm looking forward to it, as I do, no matter who he fights, to be honest. I'm that much of a fan of Fury. Yeah, you know, of course I am too. I mean, being spending time with him and getting to know him, he's a, I'm a fan of his personality in general and just him as a person. But on top of all that, his uh, boxing uh, ability for a six foot, six foot nine, two hundred fifty pound guy is second to none. So, you know, to get an opportunity to watch him box is something that you should you should definitely do. You know what I mean? And even with a guy like uh, to, was it uh, Tom Whalen, you know what I mean? Or, or Otto Whalen. I don't know why I said Tom. Otto Tom Schwartz. Is, is, yeah, that's yeah. why. That's why. That's, that's why. Right. <laughs> But um, even if it's against him, you know what I mean. Just to, you can even learn something watching him. There's a lot that goes on. There's a lot that he puts puts on as far as a show when it comes to boxing. Not not only you know just the boxing and what goes on in the ring, but his antics outside the ring even make it a little more interesting. But um, you know, like you said, like we talked about, he he fought uh, you know Vladimir Klitschko, you know at a, at, a, at a time when you know he was still he was still dominating and took him apart. You know what I mean? He did the same thing with Deontay Wilder when nobody thought. That that could be possible, you know, with Wilder's right hand, and took him apart, and honestly should have won the fight. But, you know, things happen, and this is boxing. But without a doubt, the number one heavyweight this, you know, in the world today, that would be very very difficult to dethrone. And I think the only way that that happens is he obviously gets old, or he gets caught. And um, I would love to see him in there with Wilder, but we got to take what we can get while we can get it. Yeah, for sure. And the final piece of news, um, it is it is. It's a fight on the undercard of the Spence Porter um, fight at the Staples Center in LA on uh, on, on September 28th. It's, it's shaping up to be a brilliant bill, by the way. Obviously, as I said, it's topped by Spence and Porter on the undercard. Anthony Darrell against David Benavidez. Of course, we had Benavidez on the show last week, and a fight that I'm talking about here that's just been announced: Mario Barrios, 24 and 0, friend of the show. He takes on. Very good amateur, now undefeated pro, Batir Akhmedov. He's only 7-0, and but believe me, he can seriously fight. That one is actually, it's now, for the, it's now for the vacant WBA World Super Lightweight title. So a chance there for Barrios to become a world champion. Like I say, he, um, under Virgil Hunter, has just been looking amazing recently. And um, he's such a humble guy. i got a lot of time, really, for Barrios. But also on that undercard, we get to see Josecito Lopez, 36-8, and take on John Molina Jr. Of course, we we didn't get to see John Molina Jr. take on um, Sergei Lipinets, even though we had John Molina on the show talking about it. Obviously, the fight fell through. That would have been a war, but believe me, uh, this 
one's going to be a war as well. Of course, Lopez looked good against... It was Keith Furman, he thought, wasn't it? And yeah, yeah. So, brilliant, brilliant fight. Um, Robert the Ghost Guerrero also on that card as well. So, a few big names there. But that's really it, though, for the news part. Just moving now over to the preview part of the show. We're starting... Uh, this Friday, the 16th of August, we get to see at the Memorial Hall in Kansas, USA, Shane Mosley Jr., 14-3. and three. He's in a 10-rounder against Calvin Metcalf, who's now 9-2 uh, and two with one draw. Moving out now to the Friedrich Hall in Ludwig Schaefen in Ryland Pfaus, Germany. That's probably not how I said it. Don't get too <laughs> impressed there. <Sound> good. <laughs> Vincent Feigenbutz, 30 and 2. He's in a 12 rounder against Cesar Nunez, 16 and 0 with one draw. That one's for the GBU world title and the IBO international super middleweight title. So, we've got to mention Feigenbutz here and there. Um, finally, the final bill to mention. Like I say, not too much to preview this weekend. This one is at the Bank of California Stadium in LA, California, USA. Um, on the undercard, we get to see Arnold Barboza Jr., 21 and 0. He takes on Ricky Sismundo, who's 35 and 14 with three draws. Jesse Magdaleno, 26 and 1, takes on Rafael Rivera, 27 and 3 with two draws. Chris Van Heerden, 27 and 2 with one draw. Um, I feel very sorry for Van Heerden. Obviously, he's had some serious outside-of-the-ring troubles. I believe his, his father got murdered a few months ago um, out there in South Africa, a very dangerous place to be at the moment. He takes on Aslambek Kozaev, who I haven't heard of, actually, but he's 33-2 and two with one draw. These are all 10-rounders. But the main event, over 12 rounds for the WBO World Super Bantamweight title, Emmanuel Navarrete, the guy that beat Isaac Dogbe back-to-back. He looked amazing. He was way too big for Dogbe. Like I say, 27-1. Like he takes on Francisco Devaca, 20-0. and 0. Uh, I don't know tons about Devaca, really, so I'm going to just have a little look. I should have probably had this up beforehand. But... Um, Devaca, like I say, boasts that record of twenty and oh, only six KOs. Wouldn't imagine he's gonna, you know, have any kind of power to bother Navarrete. Navarrete, the bigger puncher of the two. Uh, but you look for his record, he doesn't really have any standout names to be honest, so that's you know, that's kind of uh that's a bit upsetting, really. I mean, a lot of people are kind of saying this fight really is just a an easy touch, really, after two back-to-back fights with Dog Bay. That he won easy, but you know, Dog Bay is still a tough fighter, still a very, very strong guy. So it's a bit of an e- it's a bit of an easy touch, but he probably deserves it, Navarrete. Uh, but that's all the action, really, this weekend. Um, I just want to ask you this, Eddie. This is a question that you're going to probably have to think about here. A mm-hmm. uh, friend of the show. At Ricey underscore SUFC, he's been he's been uh, you know listening to the show for a long long time now. He says he asked you a question here: if you could fight any heavyweight in their prime, which is a bit strange, but any heavyweight in their prime, I'm guessing probably in your prime as well. If you, I'm going to change it a little bit, if if you could fight any heavyweight while you were in your prime and they were in their prime, who would it be and why? I know I'm putting you on the spot big time there, but when you look at when you think about me, when I, you know, I, I always wanted to, oh, I always wanted to be, you know, the best, you know, I mean, considered the best, you know, at least in my era, and, you know, if I could be considered the best ever, that would be awesome, but, you know, I just wanted to always take on the toughest challenges, and I wanted to take those on first, so when you think of the best ever, and the GOAT, and most people obviously think of Ali, and I've always been a real follower of Ali, obviously, I've been a real supporter, and, 
and and, and just love what he's bringing. He's brought to the table inside and outside the ring. And if you want to be an iconic fighter and somebody who was thought of as, as, as or be remembered, you would have to take on somebody that has that kind of power. And I feel like when you think about Joe Frazier and other guys that have faced Ali, you know, all we of those went, guys. We, went, we went to his gym today, yes, Joe yes, Frazier. Yes, yeah. we did. <laughs> when all the, think about all the guys who faced Ali, not even just Joe. Look at all the other guys who faced Ali, even the ones who wouldn't even have been talked about later in their careers or later in life, even when they passed on. But because they fought Ali, their names are not like you think Chuck, Chuck Webner, you know, things like that. You know what I mean? You look at Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier obviously would have been talked about because he's a great fighter. But there's other guys, Cleveland Williams. There's a lot of dudes you would talk about. You probably wouldn't even have said, uh, said their names out loud if they didn't have to do with Ali. So me thinking of myself and where I would love for myself to be remembered in history was to be able to share the ring with somebody that great. And what he was able to do outside of the ring and become, you know, and transcend the sport of boxing and, you know, and athletics as well and become, a, you know, a, 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 how do I put it, somebody that's um, in the movement. You know, of of improving, you know, black relations and, and and stuff like that. I mean, you just look at him and say, "Damn, this is a real all-around top guy in every aspect of the way." And uh, and and I'm thinking, well, if I had an opportunity to share the ring with somebody, even you know, being an adversary to him, I would love to have been somebody like Ali, because for sure, winning, losing, whatever, drawing, you're gonna be remembered. And you know, and at that point, obviously, I would love to win. <laughs> so you can think of me as the goat too, but. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, to, to just be able to share the ring and, and, and even being part of the pressure with it and being able to listen to what he says and how he talks bad about you. But even good if, you know, if that happens. You know what I mean? It, w- it would be awesome to, to be, have, be able to, you know, to have been able to do that. But obviously I'll never get the opportunity for that. But that would, who, that would be who it would have been. See, that's interesting, Eddie, because, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I mean, he was so fast he could switch his light off and get in bed before the room was dark. But you're known for your speed. Yes. Who would have been the who would have had the quicker hands? Be honest. I mean, Cassius Clay might have had. Might, maybe. I don't think he did. I don't. Maybe. Do you know what? I think your hands are quicker, Eddie. Maybe a little, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little quicker. <laughs> maybe a little bit quicker. Maybe I could have been. Maybe I couldn't have been in bed before I was dark, but I damn sure would have been able to click the light twice or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Before it was dark. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it, when you think of guys like him, you know what I mean? I think he was the GOAT or the greatest of all time for more than just how he performed in the ring. Like I said, he transcends sports, not just boxing, sports. Anybody who you ask and who do you remember most, who – I remember uh, my manager uh, at the time, his name was Rob Murray, he was a great guy, you know, God rest his soul, he passed away. He said uh, – he was riding with him because they were good friends. He rode with him in a limo and they were riding through, uh, I think, New York. And he was like, you want to see how famous – you want to see fame? You want to see real fame? You want to see something? Got out the car. <laughs> he start and he start. He got out the like got out of the limo in the middle of the street or something like that. Got out the limo, walks around with his hands <laughs> spread out like you know like 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 uh, Jesus on the cross or something, right? <laughs> and people running down, running down. Oh, it's Ali! Oh my God, it's Ali! Running up to him, and then you think, if you could have that kind of effect on somebody, get out of the limo. Just out of nowhere, and people look and say, "Oh crap, it's Ali!" Like you think of Tyson when he was talking about Wilder being able to walk down the street, nobody know him, and they know him before. It's like Tyson maybe in the UK, but seriously, it's like to to go anywhere in the world and be recognized. Think about Ali going to you know Zaire or you know going to uh, Manila, uh, Manila. Uh, Manila yeah. you know those places, and they're like, "That's the world champion for real." Like he was not just champion of you know the world in boxing; he was champion of the world to everybody and everything. So. That's why. That's definitely why I would want to spend spend my time at least fighting. If I'm going to fight with anybody, it would be him. Yeah, I mean, 
obviously a fantastic fighter. I've said it on this podcast. Anytime I get a chance to praise Ali, yeah. I do. But yeah, that's about everything from us this week. So like I say, Eddie, thank you for filling in once again for Riaz. Again, we don't know where he is. Yeah. We uh, we spoke to him the other day, FaceTime me, spoke to Eddie. Yeah. Then when Eddie passed the phone back to me, the phone went down. I, I don't know where he is. We don't know where he is. We're, we're still trying to find him. He's somewhere not quite sure where he is. He's still not back in the UK. I've come out here to the States. He's not in the States. I don't know where he is, but Eddie, like I say, thanks once again for filling in. It's been cool. It's been episode 200. We've done it live in this makeshift studio, and um, it's it's just been amazing. So thank you once again, Eddie, for filling in. It's it's always brilliant spending time talking boxing with you, whether it's on the show or not, to be honest. No problem, man. Like I said, man, anytime you need me, whether it's you're here or you're back in the UK, or if you need me to come to the UK, maybe that'll happen someday. You know, who knows? But no, you know, I'm always up for it. It's a fun time, and you know, of course, I love to talk, so... Let's get, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Right, like I say, just before we wrap up part two, the final thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome undeniably one of the very top fighters in the 140-pound division. It is, of course, Mr. Michael Fox. Mike, welcome back on the show. Thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure, Mike. We last spoke, like I say, back in May. Um, it was just after your win over Gabe Nazarov. Once again, though, um, we spoke to your brother. We spoke to your brother a few weeks after. And he again reminded our listeners that as an amateur, you, you obviously had the record of 40 wins, 60 losses. And to beat Gabe Nazarov, an Olympic gold medalist, and take his O, it's almost unbelievable. Things like that just don't happen. Um, do you feel like you're finally getting the credit that you deserve, Mike, or not yet, perhaps? I think I think with that fight, it definitely got me some credit. You know, um, it got because I mean, it really got it got my story out there. You know, I, 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 I tell people, I tell people, I don't, I don't whisper it. You know, I was sporting since an amateur. I didn't take, I didn't take boxing seriously as I, as seriously as I do now. You know, a win like that proves that, you know, having a, uh, it proves it proves that having an Olympic pedigree, uh, it, it gets you a good start in the, uh, in your career. But you know. Crossing over to the pros, it's a different monster. It certainly is. And you've now signed to fight UD Bernardo on September 14th in Pennsylvania. What do you know about Bernardo, Michael? Um, I know he's, uh, I think he was like 24 and 4 um, with like 18 knockouts. Um, it's not, I can't find a lot of uh, footage on him. Just, um, only, thing, only thing that keeps popping up is this fight with Mason Menard, and that's not a good fight to try to, uh, that's not a good fight to try to gauge how good he is off of. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because I I hadn't seen much of him. Um, you know, I went on his box wreck, and he's like he's throwing a punch from a southpaw stance, but he's not actually a southpaw, which is a which is an odd one. Um, you know, obviously he is a guy with you know more experience than the likes of Gabe Nazarov and Ergashev in the pro ranks, at least. But how do you compare this guy to those guys in terms of you know what they bring to the table? Would you say that this guy is maybe a step down technically? Um. From from what the little from the from the uh, little bit of footage I've seen, yeah, I think he might be. Um, I think he probably is a, a step down from them, but he's still not to be taken lightly. Um, you know, uh, coming off of uh, three un, three undefeated fighters back to back, I think um, you know I, I don't believe in taking light, uh, light touches. I don't believe it's a light touch, but this is. Uh, I don't think this is going to be at. I, I don't think this guy uh, is is on that level. Yeah, no, it's fair to say, but no, you've been, you've been, 
you know you've expressed before that you're you're not interested in in easy fights and stuff like that and no this this isn't that at all i'm not saying that but um a fight that did happen the other week which i'm sure that you were watching with interest hooker ramirez i mean obviously ramirez got the w but um you know it, it was in impressive fashion if we're being honest what did you make of the fight though man i think that was uh one of the best fights of the year actually i know it only went what six seven rounds but um it was it was it was action from the start. It was it reminded me. I told my brother it reminded me of uh, Hearns and Hagler. You know, Hearns and Hagler didn't go long at all. But as soon as they as soon as that uh, that first bell rang, they were on each other. And um, you know, the thing the crazy thing about it is, I think Hooker was landing his best punch, and then Ramirez was landing his best punch. That's what made the fight so good. It was just a matter of who was going to land their best punch better. And uh, it turned out to be it turned out to be um, Ramirez. Yeah, uh, throwing the uh, double hook body, uh, the body head, uh, digging with his left hand, and um, he finally, and he finally, and he finally just, uh, he finally just snuck that shot in, and then he, then he went in for the kill. Yeah. And I mean, it was a great fight up until then. Yeah, it was. It really was. Um, I know that you, you know, you take one fight at a time as a as a proper pro should, but on the world scene at 140 right now, there's there's obviously now only three men. Hooker lost the title. Ramirez has now got two of the four, and then Josh Taylor and Regis Progre have got the other two belts. Which of those guys do you uh, do you most want to fight in the not so distant future? I'm guessing. Um, in the not so distant future, I mean, realist, realistically, uh, getting a. Uh, the best chance I have of fighting any of them is to get a mandatory spot. Um, I don't think I could. I don't think I could just jump in right into the fray and uh, and, and just and just uh, steal the spotlight. It would, I would have to do it as a mandatory. Um, but I think I think Ramirez. Ramirez is uh Ramirez holds two two of the uh, two of the four major belts. I think um, he's a, he's a great fighter. A lot of aggression will come forward action. But I think um, I think he. I think he leaves himself open sometimes, I, and um, as as I as I grow and improve, those that, those would be things I could take uh, take uh, better advantage of. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. I think I think also with Ramirez, sometimes he. It depends, kind of. I know he's, he's he's still undefeated, but it kind of depends which version of himself turns up. Obviously, he didn't look amazing in his fight before this, but then you know when he took on guys like Mike Reed, he looked unbelievable. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, um, you know, it was a, like when he fought with the Pater, uh, class yes, style, yes. you know, a class of style, yeah, a class of style. So, you know, everybody brings something different to the uh, to the to the game. I mean, if you look, uh, if you look through our history. Some some guy, Pernell Pernell Whitaker, uh, struggled with a guy. I forgot his name. He was like a mandatory before he. he was, it was a title eliminator before he fought Oscar De La Hoya, and. Up until up until Parnell stopped him, he was he was losing that fight. So, you know, I think um, I think just every now and then somebody just surprises you uh, with something you're not really, with something you're not really expecting. But I don't think that Ramirez. I don't think I, I don't think it's ever a time he doesn't show up. I think he just you know the guy the guy might the guy surprised him with what he brought to the table. Yeah, for sure. And I want to ask you also, Mike, we always have to ask you this, and I ask your brother the same question. What's happening with your other brother, obviously, Alontes? When's he next fighting? Any news just yet? Uh, no news yet. It's, um, it's actually, it's, people aren't, people aren't, uh, aren't jumping at the uh, chance to fight him. You know, he's currently number three. Uh, he's ranked number three by the WBO. You know, he, um, he got, he was trying, he was supposed to fight in July. 
Liam Liam Williams uh, went a, went another went a different direction. Um, so now so now Ted is in the Alonte Fox is in the gym. He's training. He's ready. He's chomping at the bit. So um, you just got y'all, y'all just got uh, you just got to get somebody to say yes to him. Yeah, for sure. I know he's uh, he's always chomping at the bit, Alontes. Um, after your fight, Mike, are you are you looking to have another one before the year's out, or can you not really say because you're not too sure how the fight's gonna go? Um, well, we have, we, we we have to see how the fight goes. Um, I wouldn't mind trying to get a, get another one, but uh, there's time. I mean, yeah, there, there's some time. There there will be time left in the year. We, we just gotta see how this fight goes. Um, biggest thing. Uh, I'm worried. Biggest thing, biggest thing um, that I only really worry about keeping me from fights is, is an injury or anything. I, I don't. I don't. Um, but if we go, if this fight could go ten rounds, I think I'd still be good to go as long as there's no injuries and, and, and nothing that could uh, that's gonna have any uh, long term effects. I'm, I'm always down. Yeah, for sure. And just finally, Mike, as always, I just want to give you the microphone, so to speak, and let you have your say. If there's anything that you want to say at all to our listeners before I let you go, now's the time. Uh, I just want to say uh, thank you, everybody who uh, listens to the podcast. Thank you to um, thank you, thank you to Joey for uh, always you say always uh, giving me a call. But um, the thing is, this year, uh, this year it's it's, it's winding down. And I'm definitely looking to make a big splash in 2020. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for sure, Mike. Listen, it is always a pleasure speaking with you, my brother. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck for September 14th, and we'll catch up sometime after for sure. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 200 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. I'd also like to thank our two guests on this week's podcast, the former WBA lightweight world champion, Mr. Ray Mancini, and the top super lightweight contender, Mr. Michael Fox. There has been one or two pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Liam Smith and John O'Carroll have now been added to the Matra Mexico card on August 24th. Um, so yeah, both guys I believe have actually got opponents uh, for that one there. Robbie Davies Jr. and Lewis Ritson have had their grudge match um, announced. Actually, very surprising um, how how quick it's been done. It's you know they were they were only fighting the other week and now they're they, they've got a date and all that. Um, the date, by the way, is. October 19th, credit to both men for getting it on, a great, great fight that should be, and also on October 11th we'll get to see Paddy Barnes fight the undefeated Welsh prospect Mr. Jay Harris um, Jay has, has you know, accumulated a good undefeated record but he hasn't really boxed the, the names, I know I know he took on Angel Moreno, the guy that boxed Charlie Edwards in Charlie Edwards' first world title defence, uh, that was a decent name for him, but that was really the only kind of name um, that, that he's boxed so I do want to see him step it up I, I know that there was talks of him fighting Andrew Selby, I think it was even going to purse bids, not quite sure what happened there but um, yeah, he takes on Paddy Barnes, so that should be quite a good fight there. I'm looking forward to that one. That, by the way, will be taking place at the Ulster Hall in Belfast. But that is about everything from myself. It has been fun. It has been from New Jersey. I hope that you've all enjoyed this week's show. It's been a bit different. Remember to tell a friend to tell a friend, and we shall see you all again next week.